Nathan. Reed. Dude, did you isn't isn't this crazy? Isn't this Respect <laughs> Reed! It happened! Holy I cow! I what in the this. world, dude? I can't so, believe this. Anyone who's confused at all, uh the episode you're about to listen to was recorded before the Oscars. This little tag is recorded after the Oscars. We almost did it the night of, but time delays and families to bed and all that whatnot. So it is the day before you're listening to this, the day after the Oscars. And yes, shocking me personally, who I had said with a heavy heart, not that 1917 is bad. It's just not the best film of the year. I had said (laughs) with a heavy heart based on the awards leanings that Sam Mendes and, and, 1917 was going to win director and picture and lo and behold goodness gracious there is still right left to be found in the world read oh man it's amazing and you know what's great and what's what's crazy is i it was the shoe in to win international film which by the way great uh i I do like the pivot on that category i think that's uh i think that's nice uh they renamed the category but so it won best international film which it was a shoe in for I had strong suspicion it would win original screenplay. Uh, you know, Tarantino had gained some traction there, but uh, I suspected that it would win original screenplay. And the Oscars have been known to for a highly acclaimed film to give uh, diverse directors the award. So I yes. thought maybe Bong Joon-ho would win directing. Never, ever imagined that Parasite would go ahead and take home the Best Picture not. Uh, I mean, award. it's it, it made history last night. It, it made did. history. It, did. it won international film. It won screenplay. It won director. It won picture. Like, you had even alerted me when you and I off pod would text back and forth about its odds. And, and um, you know, I just admitted heavy-heartedness that it wasn't going to win for sure. And you had sort of backed that up with some data. Like, no, no foreign language film, no... Uh, non-English film had ever won Best Picture. And so right, I was, right. I had just written it off. It's like, this is not going to happen. And dude, <laughs> I have not, the last time I exclaimed with that level of intensity and volume was when Steve Rogers picked up Thor's hammer and beat the tar out of Thanos <laughs> last year. Like, awesome. I, I don't get that enough and I need it more. Uh, so it was, awesome. a, it was a thrilling experience. So um, a couple couple things, and then you know, listeners get to enjoy the episode that we uh, recorded, which is is a good one, and I think you'll really enjoy it, listeners. But um, so one bit of, bit of trivia that I discovered after the fact: uh, not only has Parasite made history of being the only foreign language film to win Best Picture, but uh, Bong Joon Ho is in a very limited category of only uh, two other uh, filmmakers. He has won the Best Picture, the Best Director, and the Best Original Screenplay for the same film. And only two other directors in Oscar history have ever done that. Um, Alejandro Iñárritu did it for Birdman, and Billy Wilder did it for The Apartment. But in Oscar history, uh, that acclaim as well, he is in uh, a rare category, though not exclusively as unique as Parasite winning Best Picture. Still, um, he's got to be a happy man. It was so amazing to see you like, again, it feels like we're detracting 1917. That's not the intention, but you could tell no, that room no. was energized by Parasite doing what they did. Oh, and that absolutely. Was really exciting to see that level of support. And he delivered uh, an amazing speech as director, you know, significantly that, calling oh. out Scorsese. That was lovely. Calling out Tarantino for his support over the years. That was lovely. I mean, it was just, yeah. it was just a really great 
thing and we need more uh, great things <laughs> <laughs> it's so true yeah speaking of speeches and then uh we can let everybody get to the episode but speaking of speeches man like so yes bong joon ho's director's speech is worth your googling youtubing whatever um he he showers the audience with some class which is amazing uh, but also joaquin phoenix congratulations to him for his best actor win for joker that was far more predictable than uh, sure. parasite winning best picture but still joaquin phoenix delivered a very affecting uh very a humble speech it was a wonderful wonderful speech um just laced with um, the complexity of emotions that the man must be feeling as he reflects on his life and his current status in light of things that are going on, and uh, and it, it was it was really wonderful. So definitely, there, if you, I mean, lest we forget, yeah. if you just want to also watch a speech, like <laughs> a person start talking and then five minutes later stop talking, oh uh, my, you goodness. can watch Renee Zellweger's. <laughs> I feel I felt so bad for her because Woo-wee. having to follow Joaquin yes. Phoenix's speech, yes. she was she was, and so so here's what's funny, you know, listeners can't get through an episode without this. So I have met Ray, Renee Zellweger. Oh my and, god, uh, Reed. yes, no, it's true. I can't get and, through a day without this. <laughs> well, you know, it's true. Hey, you brought it up. I wasn't gonna. I was just gonna talk <laughs> no, about Bong Joon Ho and Joaquin people. Phoenix. I just um, brought up brought up a speech. I will say that Renee Zellweger is near the tippy top of uh, celebrities in terms of just like when. She was approached by customers in the store. She would stop what she was doing. She would set her items down. She would turn and give them her full attention, and she did that every single time, and there were a, a, a decent handful of disruptions. She was very kind and generous to her fans, so she's she's clearly um, a very open-hearted and generous person, but boy, her speech, uh, I do oh. not know if it was just uh, the, the intimidation of yes. what Joaquin Phoenix had done, uh, but I did feel very bad for her because she was struggling so hard to to communicate something effective and and empowering and impactful and uh it was it was not entirely uh what she wanted it to Coherent. be I don't believe. I mean the second uh, the second he finished I thought she needs to either just keep it super short or have something amazing and she did yes. not do either of those. Unfortun- things. Unfortunately not <laughs> either of them. Uh so, uh, yes, listeners, we wanted to tag in very quickly just to say congratulations to Bong Joon-ho and the entire creative team of Parasite. Congratulations to Joaquin Phoenix. And uh, you'll hear in the episode we, we have a lot of praise to heap upon Parasite. Uh, hopefully you've seen it. Don't let the subtitles put you off. We, uh, we detail why in the episode, but uh, by all means, uh, go check it out. what a wild thing to be able to say Parasite is literally the number one movie on the planet. Like yes, that, like yes, that is absolutely. an actual thing you can say with total veracity and and it's, data to back it up. And enough of our prattling. Let's shall we read? Get on to the episode. All right, guys. We'll see you later. Bye. No, be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God, whatever that means to you. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God.
Hello, and welcome back to the Fear of God podcast. It is week two at our look of some of your listener-voted top 10 horror films of 2019. Last week, we discussed Joker. This week, we'll be discussing Bong Joon-ho's six-time Oscar-nominated film, including Best Picture and Director, Parasite. In fact, by the time this airs, we will know if it won any of what it's nominated for. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey, but... Y'all, he was here a second ago. He had this strange rock in his hand and, and insisted on calling himself Kevin, declared it all metaphorical, and then just kind of wandered off. I'm sure he's fine. I'm, I'm sure he's fine. He'll be back. He always he always comes back. Here at The Fear of God, we explore the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. If that sounds like something you'd enjoy, come find us on Twitter, on Instagram, or join us in the Facebook group for lively discussions around horror and genre-themed media, books, and film. At The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now, when I'm going to explain that you can listen to The Fear of God podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, etc., as Kevin Crumb, star of Reed's favorite movie, loves to say. Do you know where we're not featured? Because we don't. Tell us, and we'll look into it. Let us know over at our fancy new website, thefearofgodpodcast.com. And while you're at it, subscribe to us on your favorite platform, and also leave us a five-star rating and or glowing review. Special shout-out to Fogger Steve Beckley, who has just recently dusted off the old Fear of God letterboxed page. Gotten it up to date with tons of lists and an episode guide. Our letterboxed, starting this month with last week's Joker, will be updated from here on out with notes reflecting mine and Reed's comments from our recommend section of the show, including translating the fog meter ranking over to Letterboxd ranking system. It is one more fun way to find and engage with what we're doing here on The Fear of God. Speaking of the fun, don't forget that at thefearofgodpodcast.com, you can head over there right now and learn all about our brand new umbrella series for the year called 2020 Additionally, you will see plenty of lovely art provided exclusively for this podcast by the one and only illustrator, Jacob Hunt. Thank you to Jacob for his guest appearance last week. Do yourself a favor. Go to the website, click on the merch button to make a merch perch. Find art from the fear of God on t-shirts and mugs and cell phone cases and pillows and read or Kevin, you're, you're back. <laughs> Sorry, I uh, had left something yeah. down in the basement. I forgot all about yeah. it. So, well, uh, you know. It it happens. It, Reed, it you, did. You, uh, my running mate, this election year. I don't know if you heard <laughs> the um, Iowa caucuses just happened, and though it took some time, we won. We Reed? did. We did. We won the Iowa caucus. We're man. Out we're just, I didn't even go. It it's so great. Well, I, like you know, we're so popular. Just, I did. The people have spoken. <laughs> The people have spoken. They have. They have. <laughs> all, however, um, many of all eighty-seven of them that are subscribed on Castbox spoke <laughs> loud and clear. Eighty-seven um, is going to become this, you know, eerily significant number. number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like nineteen. Last oh year. my gosh! How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you doing, man? Uh, it's good to be here. And, and yeah, how are you? How are you doing? I'm all. I'm all right. I'm feeling yeah. a little. I'm feeling a little intimidated by uh, by the conversation by the by the parasite. Yeah. So before. Before we get there, before we okay, get there, Reed, before we get there, I, I mentioned I mentioned this a second ago. Okay, but I was wondering if because you are you're 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 lackey the list man, right? Mm. You love a list. 
I do love, love a list. You love a data point. You I love, love my a, list. You, <laughs> you love like just, I don't know, like how would you describe it? You love details. You love organization. I love, so I love, elements. It, it helps me to structure my thoughts to rank things. What is yeah. my, what is my favorite? What is my fourth favorite? What is my 17th favorite of a thing? It, it helps structure my world for me to rank things. You know, if I had taken, a, if I had just made a list, if you will, over the last 20 years of yeah. every time we're in the middle of a random conversation about, you know, some subgenre of a subgenre type of movie, <laughs> book, or TV show, and right. you chime in with, that is actually my 16th and a half favorite <laughs> thing of that particular genre, oh subgenre gosh. ever. And I'm, I'm just like, dead gum, Reed. Like, do you, do, wh why? Yes. You've the categorized level of specificity. it all. You do. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. I don't no, know. I don't kind of want to know how I rank in terms of your listings, but you probably don't. Uh, I'm a, so oh, <laughs> <laughs> like that was that what was you not don't know is expecting. i'm feeling genuinely intimidated about this conversation and and your little ping just there is like oh oh wait a minute I, don't, I, don't <laughs> I feel like i just had a rock collide with my brain <laughs> while i'm on the ground you, you know <laughs> you respect like your... <laughs> <laughs> oh Wow, yes, that was good. That was good. That is number at least two on my list of favorite things that have happened so far in this conversation. At least. At least number so two. I'm going to keep a running list. Now, however, will you let those who are fans of lists, and even those who might not totally be fans of lists, but still okay. are fans of us and want to help us out, let them know what they can do to get involved with 2020-2020. Okay, yes, this is the year of lists, if you will. Okay, so we're coming right up on it. it we will be officially launching this next phase of the series and perhaps the first official phase of the series in March. So we need your participation. Our year-long umbrella series is 2020-2020. And what that will mean is we are looking at your 10 favorite horror films from every year starting in 2000. But to know what your favorite horror films are, we need you to vote. We need you to go to thefearofgodpodcast.com. We need you to click on the banner that takes you to those surveys. We need you to click on the links, and you will be able to select as many films as you want that are your favorites from that specific year. Last, year, or last week, I made a, a really big pitch specifically for the year 2000, but... As of this recording, uh, the years 2000 through 2005 are live on the website. You can take any or all of those surveys. We urgently need you to go and particularly vote for 2000, 2001, and 2002. But you will have access to all five, uh, all six of those surveys, um, and be able to cast your vote. I'm telling you, we're seeing because we're seeing some of the results come in. It is an interesting. It's an interesting picture of there are some films that are favorites of mine that are ranking lower than I expected. Um, some films that I find very interesting are getting as much affection as they are. So if you want your voice heard for 2020, 2020, then I want you to go to the website, click on it, uh, vote on the website uh, for those years. We will be throughout the year closing down certain surveys and opening up new years. So time is of the essence. So uh, as, as early as you possibly can, go to the website, cast your votes, and we will be submitting those ranked lists 
starting in March. I'm extremely excited for this series. I'm really, really anxious to see how everything finally plays out. We're going to finally get to some films that we've talked about in one degree or another over the years, um, just depending on how listeners rank them. So uh, it this this is fun. I'm having a blast like it, checking the surveys. Yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Even just you, you have thus far um, because you're. <laughs> I was trying to think of a fun nickname for you in the moment, and it just wasn't coming. Oh, through. okay. <laughs> um, you're because you're our list guy. You know, um, you were sending me kind of where things are currently standing on the the currently open ah right, uh, po- right polls and even just seeing that list uh several a uh, couple of them i have not seen uh yeah. which is always yeah. nice um and the ones i had seen though i'm very fond of and yeah it's you know, exciting like like you just established we're always looking for inroads to be able to discuss some of this stuff without just drawing things out of a hat speaking of drawing things out of a hat <laughs> that's not really a good segue i don't know why i said it <laughs> but um <laughs> i mean it's actually a decent segue but not for where i'm going here um dude I know, like you've seen the work that old continuity guru Steve oh, Beckley has done in the Letterbox. Isn't it's that incredible. great? No, it's incredible, y'all. If you have not checked out our Letterbox page, which is publicly available to you, it is absolutely incredible. You you deserve, uh, you owe it to yourself to go and check out uh, how much of our conversations are now visible for your summer for your summary review. It's amazing. It's really amazing. <laughs> Especially if you're a list guy like Reed, and clearly Steve. <laughs> uh, I uh, tell uh, Steve, uh, I want you to know I am uh, actually ranking your updates and your selections of quotes. So, uh, so yeah. It's just <laughs> <laughs> this is like it's wheels meta. within wheels. It's like a Russian nesting doll of list making. Let's let's just... let's rank our favorite lists to make. Let's let's, do it right let's rank the rankings. Let's do. <laughs> oh my gosh! At, at the bottom, number number eight would be groceries. Number number, <laughs> number, se- number seven would be uh, chores. Survey says. <laughs> oh my god! It's like Church's Chicken. Did you see that? I I did. I did. The Family Feud thing out of Canada. Uh, actually, was, no, 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 no. Oh, I don't. I don't think I know what you're talking really about. Funny. Yeah, it's all right. I thought you were talking about oh, the old R- Ricky Smiley routine, but oh no, 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 that wasn't that one. It was a it was a Canadian Family Feud and. <laughs> Of all the stupid things to bring up, you're talking about lists made me think of this, and it was a it was like the final whatever on Family Feud, and this the question was like, what is Popeye's favorite food? And the oh, girl I got saw this. Over, and, yes, yes, and she said chicken. She got over eager. Well, she said she yes, yeah, she said chicken because she was thinking Popeye's chicken. Oh, yeah, not churches, gosh. but Popeye's chicken. And then she starts dancing like. You know, she is so out. proud. She's so proud yes, of having got it first. Oh man, that is if, great. If, if listeners get nothing else from this conversation, they should go Google that if they <laughs> haven't seen it. I'm not. Gonna... Oh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna watch that foreign language film. But uh, <laughs> so... I kind of like Nathan Reed, so I'll, I'll give the first twenty minutes a listen. And well, then go check out that. And you know what else you should check out? What you watching? <laughs> <laughs> what you reading? <laughs> What you listening to? Listening to. It's been too long. <laughs> it's been too long. I would, uh, on your usage, what's the word I'm looking for, man? I'm telling you, my brain is so scattered right now. Oh, okay. Uh, on on the times when Reed has sung What You Watching, mm. I would rank what you just did. Mm, oh, okay. I don't know that mm. it would be a super high ranking. I don't like okay. this game. <laughs> <laughs> 
when you do it. <laughs> I don't. This, this is not my favorite thing. On this, this thing. I'm going to rank this experience pretty low. This is pretty low. This is pretty low. On my list of 112 things that have happened, <laughs> this is... This is at the bottom. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm just my saying. God. And I had yeah, a hangnail yeah. earlier that, that tops yeah, this. Yeah, you yeah, know, like, yeah. It's, yeah. Okay, so you <laughs> asked me what I was watching um, or reading or listening to. One of those things. Um, uh, so two things. Uh, it's We just finished January, and I actually read about four books in January, Read That's and impressive. I only read three. Thank you. Uh, you're I mean, you know, in the ranking of how many books each of us has read, you, I'm, you win. You know, what's yeah. your pa- what's your page count? I'm just I'm teasing. Oh, I'm totally that teasing. I, <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> so many, so many pages. Um, <laughs> so I, I I I do worry a little bit that like this year is going to be like the year of the ugly cry for me because mm, the mm. two the two I'm going to cite here have both uh kept my heart soft which is never a bad thing sure, but um sure. uh, one of the books i read actually my wife gifted me back in october and just kind of got around to it finally in january and um the title of the book is tattoos on the heart mm. and it's written by a gentleman named gregory boyle and um you know as far as some of the stuff i read sometimes this is actually a very accessible book i would encourage anyone mm. to anyone who likes the things we talk about would find this an easy read <laughs> I, much like i'm not gonna say that i'm that no you're, no you're, i'm not you're, I'm, you're an easy I'm read. not that i'm not stop we're gone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> i knew where you were going um, and i'm like no oh, yeah no. i know you did of all the times i've ever appropriated the word r-e-a-d and applied it to your name that one would rank kind of low. <laughs> kind of oh my gosh <laughs> These. Okay, so I never thought heart, I'd but... say this, but you're putting me off of lists. I mean, this is. Uh... <laughs> I'm what? You're putting me off of lists. Like I am. Oh. I'm, <laughs> my appreciation for lists somebody, is depreciating in real time. Um, wow. Somebody had to. <laughs> uh, so, tattoos on the heart by Gregory Boyle. Gregory Boyle is a Jesuit priest who started an organization in um, Southern California called Homeboy Industries, and Homeboy Industries is a nonprofit that um gosh rehabilitates is maybe the wrong word but uh Boyle's whole mission in life that he's adopted uh through this specific organization is to live amongst the most densely populated gang geography in the country mm. um and so homeboy industries is an organization that he started to employ yeah, and through employment uh, grant dignity to these young men and women who carry around with them the deep scars of growing up in the environment in which they have. And like, you know, like I jokingly said, it, it is a, it's a pretty brisk um, read. It's a pretty easy and straightforward and accessible, but what, it also is is very powerful mm-hmm. um and very arresting and the the ways he lays out his sort of operating system from a faith perspective will challenge a lot of people wow um his point is not i'm here to serve or to 
pull someone out of his his operating system is i'm here to be present with and Mm, that's kind of the end of the sentence Mm. um and it's it's he has this whole middle section in the book on success and just attacking what capitalist meritocracy america would call success and how success by by kingdom standards is not uh is not what it looks like as we typically define it. Anyway, yeah. it's a very powerful book, very powerful book. I would encourage anyone to pick it up. Uh, pretty brisk, uh, not hard, but will batter your heart into submission at just how, you know, kind of beautiful, wow. true transformation can be. Um, yeah. So there's that. And then I had the opportunity. Uh, it kind of fell on my lap. Um, thank you. Shout out to podcast listener, Matt Wiggins, who reached out about a month ago or so and was just like, Hey, did you know Brian Stevenson is coming to Charlotte? And I was like, uh, Oh boy, actually, I did not. So Matt alerted me to and, uh, helped facilitate the means by which I acquired a couple of tickets, um, to awesome. go listen to Brian Stevenson. Wow. And even though much of what he has to say in those settings is stuff I'm familiar with and have heard, um, it is no less powerful and potent and prophetic Um, and you just kind of listen to someone, um, I think you'll know what I mean when I say this, you know, there are, there are faith speakers, right? There are people you could go and listen to them and get inspired. Inspirational speakers is the idea I'm looking for there. There are those people and maybe you get something maybe of value out of that, like something to take away and like, oh, the you know, but it's, but it's very ethereal. It's very spiritually abstract. Um, and then you have people like Stevenson who are doing and living the hard work that is required for true. Um, he, he, he might in private refer to it as kind of kingdom work. That's not the type of language he utilizes in public settings, but that's definitively what it is. And so you watch someone exercising those sorts of skills, skills and gifts and and using their very life in the way in which he does and it is it is challenging um it is moving it is inspiring it is you know encouraging anyway so those are those would be my watches for this particular conversation read what are you watching reading listening to doing Mine are so much more trivial than <laughs> than, that's, those, that's, than those. That's okay. It's okay, <laughs> um, man. Okay, so I have you know. It's I been, was just I was just virtue signaling. Uh, wow, like, wow, I'm just wow, kidding, wow, wow. As you know, I hate that phrase. <laughs> I do know. That's why I was surprised you used it. Um, okay, so um, for me, uh, so the uh, January in terms of my entertainment, uh, and and it's funny because we haven't talked about this in like you know several weeks. So there's like. A, a, a lot of things I could catch up on. I'm going to hit three uh, just in real quick passing. So uh, the first, um, because it, the, it doesn't tie uh, into itself, is I caught on Apple TV Plus a show much talked about uh, called The Morning Show. Have you have you heard of The Morning Show? Have you? Do oh, you know yeah. anything about yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have I you... mean, I've not watched it, but I, I definitely okay. know of it and about it. And okay. the promo pops up every time you turn on your Apple TV. It does. It does. So, uh, high-profile cast, obviously, has got Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell, 
Um, there's a couple of other uh, noteworthy names, particular to uh, Mr. Mark Duplass. I was just people. about to say oh, him, but you know, you I can just say that. it. I yeah. feel bad. No, I'm sorry. you don't feel that bad. But that's I mean, you just, I do because <laughs> I, I didn't know that you were going to say that. <laughs> what I was about to say, which no, I mean, it, it sincerely is fine, uh, is just uh, was you know particular uh, interest to Fear of God listeners because the star of Creep and Creep Two uh, is in it in a pretty major role. So Billy Crudup's also in it. I'm not going to name any more of the cast, but just basically uh, what I found interesting about the show. So the show, I feel, is exceptionally well-crafted and written. There are a couple of episodes here and there that I would say no more than maybe two or so that, that lull a little bit where you're like, okay, you know, get on with it. But the show is... Uh, the the effect on me was pretty powerful. Uh, the show, huh. in brief deals directly with the many, many facets of the effect of the Me Too movement in the workplace. Mm. So that is the, I mean, you uh, you would know this uh, about 10 minutes into the show, but that is that is what the entire show is about. It uh, Obviously, lots of different things happen, but it is dealing with the different degrees and the different uh, victims and the different scenarios in which uh, that have become part of this uh, Me Too conversation. And one of the things I vastly appreciated about the show, I would highly recommend the show. I would strongly recommend it. Um, But one of the things I really appreciated about it is I feel like there was a a large degree of intention to create uh, a lot of different scenarios. Like they, they, it feels like uh, almost uh, perhaps one could ding it for being like too deliberate with Okay, you've got every single scenario. Okay, you have the completely consensual and non-coercive workplace relationship. You've got the uh, mega celebrity uh, accused, uh, you know, facing a bunch of accusations and thus uh, immediately fired. You have the people who may or may not have known about that person's doings. The people who may or may not have participated in those doings, either willingly or been victims of it. And so you have, like, all of these different... Uh, things that play together and play off off of each other in the larger story, um, but I found it the over the overall effect to be really compelling, and I highly highly recommend it. It has been renewed for a season two, um, but uh, I would I would strongly recommend if you have access to Apple TV Plus, the morning show starring Reese Witherspoon and uh, Gen- Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell. Uh, extremely mature content. Probably with what I just described, uh, that would go without saying. But extremely mature does content, Mark, but it's very good. Does Mark Morning show his Duplass? He he does not. But oh. <laughs> but the does. but the, the way the look on your face, the way that you uh, no, actually they don't. But the way you just said that just took it it, it, it took me by surprise. I was uh, I was like oh uh, no he does not <laughs> he does not uh, d- d- do do that. So uh, but no. <laughs> Um, so the next thing that I, um, you, you mentioned, you've read about four books this month. That's great that I've read only three, uh, in the past month. Uh, but I've been, I receive every year for Christmas because the man is just insanely prolific. Um, I receive a new Stephen King book. It's been a tradition that if a, if a, if a new Stephen King book comes out anywhere in the late August to early October timeframe, uh, or any time thereafter, I received that book as one of my mainstay Christmas presents. Um, so I got Stephen King's new book, The Institute, which I read and I enjoyed. Um, but it prompted, this time around, it just sort of prompted this big, like, 
you know, there's a lot of these books that I haven't read in a very long time um, and uh, would, would love to sort of connect with. And, and so I, I reread uh, Bazaar of Bad Dreams, which is his collection of short stories, I think his most recent collection of short stories. And then I reread The Outsider, uh, which I loved, and that uh, I've even mentioned it on the show before, the first time that I read it through. But uh, the reason that I... So I've been reading Stephen King material. That's, that is that. Um, but that segues into the... Uh, is it HBO? It's HBO, yeah. yeah. Um, the TV series The Outsider, which we've referenced only in passing so far, but which I'm watching and I know you're watching. And I, yeah. I'm only about halfway through it. I'm only five episodes well, in. Yeah. Um, that's all that's aired. Um, but I love it. I absolutely love the show. I think it's... I mean, I, it's... Super strong. Now, I am unfamiliar. I have not read the book, so you know the story was new to me. But I, uh, I don't know. I don't know much of Richard Price's work outside of one The Outsider, but also he wrote The Night of, which was also an HBO Uh, miniseries from about two years ago or so. Um, But it almost seems this perfect marriage between King's trend towards the fantastic and prices gritty procedural but yeah. real kind of vibe and and it just in terms of the energy of the show it's it's pretty amazing and there are it's really stunning yeah i feel like it's your watcher that i'm i'm hijacking no no no, no no but but so much of just the film craft is so doggone strong oh absolutely like just, it is yeah absolutely I, i'm thinking specifically what's coming to mind right now is twofold two scenes one uh, two scenes that are representative of many like it one is in mild spoilers here if you're not watching the outsider but there's nothing really given away plot wise in episode two or three the jogger outside the house yes the, oh yes that's amazing that's that, yes that scene's amazing yeah. i mean like no, just really the way is. that is framed and crafted and shot yes so there's that one and then i think it's the most recent episode which again is five as of this recording the shot it's one long shot of Mendelssohn in the foreground and the wife in the background. Mm. And do you mm. do you remember this? Yes. And it's oh, yeah. the scene itself. We we are so used to quick cuts right. and mm-hmm. kind of paint paint over sort of maybe um uh poor performance maybe or or just sure know, kind of sure yeah weak performance or other sort of uh errors or weaknesses in in kind of i don't know setting or or costume who knows what but we're so used to quick cuts we're so used to quick cuts and to have some of these scenes that just hang but they don't just hang there they do things in frame as well and so that one if you remember it's the one where he's in the foreground she's in the background she walks in he's in focus but he never looks at her she walks into the back and it focuses on her you know it it does that yeah camera trick and she's talking to him. She says she's going to leave. She leaves the room, and it focuses back on him. And I, it's so simple. But right. I was just right. mesmerized by that scene. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and the the other thing that I have to praise, like, and and uh, I'm right there with you with the just the general tone, the craft behind everything that you're seeing, but also I have always liked him, but. Ben Mendelsohn in this is so, so, so good. good. He is outstanding in this TV series. Um, and, and, and so I just, I really appreciate his presence, what he brings. 
He has embodied this character, which again, I read the book, and so I was picturing Ralph Anderson completely differently than Ben Mendelsohn, but he has embodied this character in such a profound way. Uh, he, he's just exceptional. He's really exceptional. And then I also uh, have to sing some praises of uh, Cynthia Erivo, uh, yeah. who plays Holly Gibney. She's um, great. And uh, I've I've seen her come up a little bit. I, I had recently watched uh, the film Bad Times at the El Royale, and she's in that. And uh, she was also in, although I haven't seen it yet, but planned to soon, uh, the film Harriet that was, and she's, I believe, nominated yes. for an Oscar yes. for it. Um, yeah. But but she's outstanding in The Outsider. Uh, but it also just has a fantastic cast. I mean, Jason Bateman's presence. Uh, you have... Uh, oh, uh, Bill Camp Bill Camp's in it. Yeah. So, I mean, like, so anyway... We're only about halfway through it. It remains to be seen if it will maintain the strength because something that you do not know is... Don't tell the, me. No, it's not kidding. a... No, okay. no, no, no. Um, the first three episodes represent the first more than half of the book. So what, huh. I'm, what I'm fascinated to see in their 10-episode arc is, well, where, how will they progress this story now from here? Because... They truncated, uh, you know, they adapted a few things that are a little different, which I will not go into right now, but the major beats, the major narrative beats of the first three episodes comprise like the first maybe a little bit more than half of the book. And so, so it's without spoiling specifics, the major twist, wh- where in the book does that fall? That are you talking about point? the event of episode two? Yeah. Uh, that is a little bit less than halfway. Wow. Yeah, and so it op- you know it practically opens episode two, but yeah. that does not happen until almost midway through the book, and uh, and then it follows with you know Holly's arrival and 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 everything, and so well, yeah. you just you know it it is an example, and these are hard to find, but it is it is an example of everyone involved operating at just maximum. Right, like oh, absolutely, right. The because because you know the story itself is actually pretty standard King Fair. It's pretty direct, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the adaptation is pitch perfect cinematography Mm -hmm. and direction, yeah. uh, uh, Exemplary writing, Mm -hmm. and you just have actors who know how to act, yeah. And the reason you can sing the praises of Mendelssohn not just because he's a great actor, but because the camera lets him do it, yeah. They you know, don't. They like, don't try to hide him. You just, you just hang yeah. with these people, and now don't get me wrong. Someone could criticize its pace, and I don't know that I would utterly disagree with that. Like it's kind of slow in spots, but it just kind of okay. depends on you know how you dig in or don't. Um, sure, sure. You know, part part of that is just the energy and vibe and mood. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I, I don't anyway. want it brisker than it is. Like it's, you know, it's it's very much on point with kind of what I was expecting. I will say one final note about the outsider that to your note about adaptation, they have already in episode four and uh, actually episode five. This is non uh, spoiler territory, but you will know what I'm referring to. In episode five. There is a an an uncovering of a mystery, or at least a uh, there's a uh, I'll, I'll say it this way that there is a potential solution to the mystery at the center of the story, um, you know, or at least that there's a uh, uh, there's. Do you remember what I'm talking about? The mythology that they sort of start discussing from episode five. I want to know something funny. Yeah. So unrelated to the outsider, but 
up until a few days ago, my wife was out of town for 10 days straight. And so I, with just magnificent assists from my parents who have also moved to our neck of the woods, um, our sitter and uh, my mother-in-law was able to take care of all three of my children during that time frame. However, what it did do is left me a sack of potatoes in terms of my energy by the end of it. And on a, <laughs> on a Friday, on a Friday night, you'll love this on a Friday night, I dropped all my kids off at my parents' house where they were going to have a sleepover, came home and nanny mother-in-law who likes to watch scary stuff with me. Sure. Watching the outsider. Right. It was seven, 7 PM on a Friday night. We turn on outsider episode five and in like 10 minutes I was out <laughs> and didn't even know it until like 40 minutes later when it was like basically wrapping up. And I was okay. like, I, I am not sure what has happened in this. What I'm just happened? Have to rewatch this episode because I don't really know. So oh my gosh. <laughs> well, okay, so seven o'clock on a Friday night. I will just say they uh, they present a potential. There there is a profound and impossible mystery at the center of the outsider. In episode five, they present a potential solution to that mystery. Where I'm going with that? All of that to say, their method of presenting that solution is very different from the book and I consider it better. So hmm. it's so it's interesting to see like you know all these things they've truncated the first half now they're starting to introduce some new information that is not from the book or at least is presenting in a different way from the book. So I'm very excited to see how they land this. I'm rooting for them to land it in a really effective way because I'm I'm in on this show. I think it's really outstanding and I highly highly recommend it. If you have HBO and can handle some some grittier crime fare, um it's really really strong. And so highly recommend The Outsider. So uh so with that and without further ado, that has been yet another episode of What you watching? What you reading? <laughs> yes it's like i can see it climbing the ranks it's like i can visualize this this I was list like, i'm landing at number up, one up, mother up. Up. yeah you're gonna make it number one mama i'm going to disney world <laughs> i'm winning i'm winning <laughs> they spinning they spinning um so reed Goodness Nathan. gracious. So we are, Nathan. this is week two. We covered the Joker last week. I keep doing that. We covered Joker last week. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was so excited to cover Joker and Parasite because they're such powerhouses of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know that I reckoned with the massive whale that trying to actually engage them in a conversational way would, you know, sure. invite, right? Yeah, right, right, like, right. So, but uh, before we even, you know, kind of wade in those deeper waters, so we're in week two of a four-week run, mm -hmm. the best, these weren't, these weren't the top four, right? No, so in, right, so right. in fact, yeah, these were just these were from the top ten, but we That's decided right. yeah. what we wanted to discuss. Yes, in writ so listeners voted on their top ten. Those were posted to Instagram this uh, last week. If you're yep. listening to this day of release, um, and it's Joker, uh, Parasite. Next week, uh, we are going to be covering Ari Aster's Midsommar, which 
good lord who knows what that's going to be like conversationally uh, <laughs> right. but as another plug it is it is so far the year of guests um we decided what better way to make a movie about you know drug use and penises more awkward than to wow. have sure. a woman in on the conversation so i mean i don't uh, know that midsommar is about the second thing but you know well it yeah. it features them in certain fashion relatively uh, in prominently. a number of places I mean, right, would, right yeah that's um that okay. said it's it's uh we he are just next made week featured <laughs> <laughs> didn't have to be weird but now yeah. <laughs> could have just been could have just been the thing we that, don't discuss but that instead. is uh well i mean it's gonna be discussed oh will it will um, it because i <laughs> I think we had some choice there. <laughs> will will that be a major I mean, it's staple? A, Is it going to be on your likes, dislikes, or your scares? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the answer is the answer is yes. What um, you're looking for. But next week we will be uh, once more having literary correspondent Meredith Curran, um, who last uh, was on the show uh, circa Funny or Die and Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um, we tried to have her on a couple of times and, you know, are finally able to make it work with Midsommar. Um, you can see her post every Wednesday plugging various uh, literary works of the horror genre, which is great. So she'll be on next week with Midsommar, and then we'll wrap up this month with Ready or Not, a yes. heck of a lot of a fun uh, little horror flick. Um, Indeed. So... Today, man, we are discussing Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Now, you, I had seen this in the theater with my wife, uh, one of the few times that has ever happened in the last right. couple of years, um, and it was a little bit before you got to it, and that's not a dig. I'm genuinely curious right. because you and I both know when these movies gain a life of their own in terms of box office and buzz that it can sometimes detract from the viewing experience. And so I would love to hear your, and to be clear, I didn't see it at the forefront. I, you know, I knew it was out there and developing buzz and then it finally hit one of our theaters and we went, um, and then it was probably another month or so before you were able to, but speak to your experience of the hype versus the experience. So I will say that like to, to me, had I seen it, Okay, so let's say I had seen this in the theater early in its release, first couple of weeks. I It is hard for me to tell if I would have joined the throng of greatest ever of all time everything. You know, like, I mean, there are some people, I remember there was a, before I saw it, there was a big deal made on, uh, by, by some of the film community with which I'm associated, uh, of saying like, yeah, uh, Parasite has now, beaten the godfather as like the highest uh ranked item on all of letterboxd you know and so like there was there was is that is that true uh i believe it was at a particular point i don't know if it is still true but uh but uh, at one point i forget what it had beat it out i think it was godfather but at one point parasite was the number one highest ranked film on letterboxd on all of letterboxd and so i went into it which is just wild right 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 yeah um, and so I went into it with this, you know, okay, there's obviously there's a tremendous amount of affection behind this film. And when I saw it, so I've seen a lot of, uh, well, I, I say a lot, I've seen several of Bong Joon-ho's other films. And he's an, ex- an exceptional filmmaker. He's an outstanding storyteller, very inventive, 
He's got his own unique style. His stories have these unexpected surprises in them, and they they cross genres. They're a little bit hard to classify in the best way possible because they're so unique. So um, I had I was a little bit familiar with the kinds of things he was interested in, but when I went into it, so I remember feeling when I finished it. It, it was like old lost as soon as it was done i was like i'm going to need to watch that again yeah. like i don't i don't know that i can fully process everything that's happening it did not immediately strike me as this oh yes i understand why everybody like honestly in this moment i'm a little i wouldn't say confused but it surprises me that it has struck such a high chord with such a broad audience um sure it, it's an outstanding film. That's not a ding on the film, but it, you you know it's it's particular. It's about certain particular things, and in a very particular way that makes me wonder why this has caught on with so so many people. But I mean, yes, it, I I remember. I think I texted uh, you and and the rest of our uh, pod buddies and was like, you know, Parasite is freaking fantastic. Um, my wife and I were discussing it after the fact and discussing like, well, what was this? And, and uh, I, you know, there are still things that I feel like were metaphors within the movie that, that I can't quite grasp or wrangle down sure. um, that maybe, you know, the right think piece or maybe this conversation will help me sort of contextualize in a way that I can understand my thoughts and feelings about it. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I it was That's not cool. overhyped for me. It was, yeah. you know, I, I, I still, like I said, don't know, exactly the reason why it has captured the imaginations of so many people but it's an outstanding film it's an absolutely did, outstanding film now did you have you seen it twice or did you yes. just end up getting, yes okay, no okay. i've seen it twice yeah um you know i i as i've thought about this film and 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 not the narrative necessarily similarities although there is some overlap that it has to joker but the the layers and the levels and the, as you just use the word metaphors, which becomes a prevalent idea in the film. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm kind of intimidated by its, um, magnitude. And it's funny. I had this image come to mind recently and honestly was inspired loosely by our Joker conversation as I just pondered, you know, cause I, you and I more or less get one shot at these conversations. You know what yeah, I mean? And it's like, sure. you know, and, and, and you want to do right by our dialogue uh, right, and interplay. Right. You want to do right by the film right. um, and have an honest assessment. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they're so jam packed. It's, you know, picking apart oh, the pieces is tough. So I don't know, this image came to my mind and, and in the spirit of our uh, uh, love for Mike Flanagan, we'll call it Hill House. But this image of a, a house where the house is representative of whatever film we're discussing. And, you know, we, maybe it's the movie final destination and it's more like a, you know, trailer type of house. <laughs> I was like wondering there's what just not do. much. Sure. When yeah. you go inside, there's not, it's just tiny. It's a tiny yeah. house. You know, it's like you walk in and you're like, there's the walls. Sometimes and tiny houses are cute. I'm not arguing they're not. I'm just saying there's not much to them. They're this- tiny. You know, sure. they, they don't have sure. a lot to offer spatially. Um, <laughs> so, and, and then you have movies like A Parasite when you look at the sheer enormity of the house and you're like, I I don't know. So right, we, right, 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 we right. conversationally wander into the foyer, which is banter 
and what you're watching and just just like checking out the the tchotchkes and the trinkets in the foyer and mm-hmm. checking our hair in the mirror. And then you just start wandering the house and odds are good. You're not going to get to every room in that house, especially if it's a movie like this. Right. And right, right, right. it's funny. I was thinking, uh, I know you listened to the Star Wars conversation, but on there I reference. And I think I finally understood what she was asking. My wife, the day I was going to record Star Wars with uh, Ian, she asked this question that was a little oddly phrased, but I, again, like I said, I think now I understand it a little more, asking, do I ever dread the conversation? Ah, and, and it was a strong word. And sure, sh- sure. she's an, in- she's an intro- introvert and an Enneagram 9 and just, I don't know, public speaking, which right, is not a right, thing she right. craves like mm-hmm. you and I do. Um, <laughs> and he's like, no, I'll put the microphone in my face. Um, I'll take that. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, and yet... As of an hour ago, I was like, I no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's too much here. I, I feel like I'm trying to speak a foreign language, having never studied it, by trying to wrestle down sure. all the things about this movie. So, you know, I do feel like it's worth just kind of doing some cursory glances at the film before we kind of wade into the the grand ballroom, if yeah. you will. Well, why um, don't we? Yeah. Why don't we start as a as a proposal? Uh, why don't we start with me, just. Reed. Surprise! Um, why don't we start with just generally summarizing the major narrative beats of the film? It, just in case there are people who are like, I don't know if I want to watch Parasite. Let me listen to Reed and Nathan talk about it first. Because we're going to spoil everything. And it's a film that deserves to be seen. And there are things that can be spoiled if you haven't seen Major, it. major. Like, there are major surprises in this film. And so we would encourage you, just so everybody's aware, we would encourage you to please go and watch it uh, first. But in case you're just listening to us regardless uh, or whatever, uh, so do you mind if I briefly summarize it? Uh, no, as, so a qu- we- as a quick, as a, as a really succinct note, ideally, before you start that, despite how it sounds and even how you just outlined it, outlined it for anyone listening, like this is, it's, it's, there's a lot going on, but it's incredibly accessible. It is a it really very, is. Yes. it yes. is a, it moves. Uh, it's very it's quickly paced. a bit yeah. thrilling. It's got an excellent plot to it. It is not just some sort of art house hoity-toity type of exercise. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so the premise in general, we first see these, this uh, sort of impoverished family um, who are struggling to, you know, steal the neighbor's Wi-Fi. Um, but um, very early on in the conversation, uh, or in the film, uh, they uh, they are gifted with from one of the it's it's a nuclear family so it's a mother father uh, daughter son and the son uh, his friend gifts them with this what are what are they called the, it's a special kind of rock that I'm I'm forgetting do you remember what they're called uh, a, I think they're referred to as a scholar rock scholar, scholar rock okay yeah it's yeah. it's this it's this fanciful uh, you know artfully you know uh, carved little rock that um, is supposed to bring wealth and good fortune and all this stuff. Well, this friend of the son's also gives him a lead on a tutoring position. And then here's mm-hmm. what, here was the first moment where I was like, wow, this is, this is really cool. Because the son goes and accepts the tutoring position, does well, the, the, this very, very wealthy family um, whose daughter he is now tutoring. Um, and, and the wealthy family... Suddenly he's like, oh, you know what? Your son does art. Well, you know, I used to know this. I forget exactly how they contextualize it, but it's like I used to know somebody who uh, who was an art teacher that was really in high demand. You know, I, I'd be happy to reach out to them or whatever. And then it's his sister that he brings in, and the sister 
poses as this high-profile art teacher. Then they find a way to work in uh, in a very manipulative way. They get the the driver, the family's hired driver, fired, and then <laughs> find a way to get the dad an interview for the job. And then so now the, the dad is their driver, the daughter is their art teacher, and the um, son is their uh, daughter's tutor. And then uh, they find a way to, probably the most insidious way possible, they uh, get the housekeeper That's fired. so wild. It's, it's, it's outrageous. They get the housekeeper fired, and then the mom is now the housekeeper. So this whole family. And they're all, and they're all operating under false under identities. Under the same roof, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, they're, and they're operating under false identities in the same roof, and, and this very wealthy family is unbeknowingly, like, funding this entire impoverished family through these these different jobs. Well, that's the first, basically, half of the film. And this is the last major warning for spoilers. This is the last major warning. There is a surprise in the middle of the film um, that uh, basically the fired housekeeper comes back, and when she comes back, it is at a time when the rich family has gone away on a camping trip. So naturally, the rich family is away on a camping trip, thinking that their housekeeper is just going to be staying at their house and house-sitting for them, not realizing that the housekeeper has certainly invited her whole family in to have a little, like, hangout party. We're going to eat all the food and drink all the booze and just sort of hang out. Well, the fired housekeeper shows up and says, I left something in the basement. Can you please just let me in? I'll go get, the, I'll go get this thing in the basement. And, you know, it happens. Things progress. The thing down in the basement is her husband, who has been living down in this sort of basement dwelling area for God knows how long while she was the housekeeper for this rich family. And emerging out of that, without just completely unraveling the whole film, emerging out of that, this uh, now-fired housekeeper finds out that these new employees are all one family and that they have deceived the rich family, and that sparks this sort of suspenseful little cat-and-mouse game while the family then sort of returns from their camping excursion. And it's just, I mean, it it is a bonkers bananas film, uh, which if you haven't seen it, I feel bad because we have spoiled so much of it. But I wanted you to have some context for some of the things in which we're going to kind of talk about just as an entry point. But I will say before I pivot over to you for whatever you, you know, cursory things you want to put on it, that basement reveal this is what That's I wrote huge. down. That yeah. basement reveal is one of the strongest and most energizing surprises in the last whole decade of cinema. I mean like yeah. I I yeah. almost came off the chair when I was like, "What? You cuz I never never saw that coming. I didn't even think that was a remotely a remote possibility on the table but that, i mean that was wild well absolutely wild because it changes everything yes. while being utterly organic yes it's completely you baked know. in you you hear earlier or you're reminded earlier that uh when the rich wealthy husband is talking to now his new driver which is the father of this Mr. impoverished mr family, kim mr yeah. kim He's talking to him. He's like, she was a great housekeeper. Never crossed the line. Only thing, she ate too much food. Couldn't believe the amount of food she ate. And so it's like that little comment takes on such meaning when you realize like, oh, because she was like That's siphoning amazing. down food right. to her husband hiding That's down in amazing because I didn't even th- put that together, that line. Oh, my Th- gosh. This is what I will say this. Like, I don't know how to bracket this film because on the one hand, 
I don't love it in that emotional, sentimental kind of way that I okay, enjoy movies sure. sometimes. Right, right. But my respect is so high. Respect. That it... <laughs> I'm sorry. I could. <laughs> no. Please. It's a, it's hysterical. That is a line from the movie, and it's delivered by a crazy person, and it's in English when most of the movie is 99.9% of the movie is not in English. So, yeah, it's it's hysterical oh that you keep bringing that up. But, yes, yes. But my respect for the film is so high that it suddenly starts to blur into, I think I love what is happening in and about this film. Right, right. Um, course, I've seen it two and a half times now, and it keeps getting funnier every single mm-hmm, time I see mm-hmm. it. But to your point uh, about the Mr. Park's comment of the the fired housekeeper siphoning food, what's so impressive about this film is each time you watch it, there's new little nuggets. Like, oh my gosh, that's yes, amazing. oh uh, absolutely. Um, and for clarity's sake, for our conversation, primarily it's the Park family, which is the wealthy folks yes. who have a young son who's nine and a teenage daughter, and the Kim family, which are the imposter crew. Yes, um, whose kids are older. They're they're you know, late teens, maybe mm-hmm. even bordering on 20 ish and then the housekeeper and the husband. So those are the primary players. And, you know, I was worried going into my theater viewing. I was like, gosh, the weight is so high for, or the bar is so high for what this has to do. Right. Right. But to your point, one, that first hour, the, the plot in motion is so compelling. You're like, yes, this is, crazy because even hearing you describe it just now someone who's not seen the film and is listening to this conversation and has chosen not to watch the film listening to that it's so asinine right Mm -hmm, it's like mm -hmm. well that doesn't work that's dumb that's right that's the that's the essence of contrivance right Mm -hmm. um but in the film it just works uh which is why he got nominated for original screenplay but um It's amazing. So, so, so that is the first hour, but yeah, that basement reveal, it's like, okay, I don't have a footing right now. Yeah. And that's that's thrilling and terrifying. And the second half of that film is why this movie gets nudged over into consideration in the horror category because of the way these socioeconomic levels of, of, of a society play out against each other right um right um i do wonder if it's worth a few kind of cursory things like you know we we've talked about the plot um now i the only other uh bong joon ho film i've seen is snowpiercer and i wouldn't have Mm -hmm. the memory to know if any of these players are in that film but i do know or at least my understanding is mr kim the driver is either a pretty big Korean star or is also, and maybe also is in a number of his films. He's, do you know, I I don't know about his status in Korean cinema, but he is definitely in quite a few of Bong Joon Ho's films. That might Uh, might be what I'm remembering. He was in, so the very, it's a kind of a silly story, but the very first Bong Joon Ho film I saw was actually memories of murder. It goes all the way back to the days when I was working uh, at the retail store. And every Friday, um, it, you as an employee, because you would get lots of promotional items from labels and uh, people that wanted them to the store to carry their music and carry their movies and stuff like that. Um, so you were privileged to to take um, a handful of these promotional items. That was just one of the perks of working at that retail store at that time. Well, 
one of them coincidentally was this little Korean thriller film called Memories of Murder that I was like, oh, this you know this looks interesting. It, I, I like movies. Let me take this home. So I saw it and and really really enjoyed it. Um, but that was my first exposure to him. Uh, then uh, saw The Host, and uh, I've also seen Mother Snowpiercer, of course, and uh, Okja. Yeah. So so I've seen most um, of his uh, output. You know, there's a world in which the 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 ideas present thematically can can kind of overtake everything, but I, I don't want to completely um, abandon you know kind of some of the actual text of the film. What what you didn't describe because it's a bit uh, ancillary, although becomes the driving force of the narrative, is so within the film. I'm, I'm this is a, sum, a plot summary aspect, but to get to the talking about it and the things you notice when you see it another time, at least um, in the text of the film, the ten year old boy, the nine year old boy, has some some version of like a PTSD. He's got some struggles from yes. a thing that happened to him. Yes. And the mom, once you learn this story, one, that, that scene is just amazing. Oh, it's outstanding. The, when it's they're at the table and it pans yes. down to the cake and the lighting and all that is amazing. Oh yeah. Um, uh, so you learn on his birthday, a particular year, the young boy uh, stole down to the kitchen and took his birthday cake out of the fridge and sat on the floor and was eating his birthday cake. And when he was doing this, oh the unbeknownst to the viewer, basement dwelling man yes. starts to ascend in the darkness and the little boy sees him. And as the mother understands his story, the kid's story, the kid has relayed that he's seen a ghost. And I don't remember if he passes out explicitly, but like just has a some shock, trauma goes yes. into shock and trauma from what he thinks is a ghost in the house. Right. Yes. So. Ultimately, that's the propulsion for a lot of the the story is what in the world this ghost, this kid. Do you remember? Did you notice how the film climaxes? You know this, but the film climaxes with a birthday party right. um, for the song, the, the little boy. Right. And she tells the mom tells. I can't remember if it's um, uh, Jessica, uh, the anglicized name for the sister tutor. Um, she tells somebody. We're gonna give him his trauma recovery cake at, to celebrate to kind of get oh, over this. Oh, I do. Yes, I remember that. And do you remember <laughs> the the? I mean, so much of this film is pitch perfect. Like it is, it is tightly wound and plotted to perfection. And they walk out into the courtyard, and respect man, the basement dwelling husband has yes, yes. come up the stairs and has made his presence. Up, up in the air known and he walks out and stabs jessica well right. she falls do you remember this moment she falls uh, standing it. behind her is the boy is the song yes who's yes. who's in upon seeing who he remembers as a ghost eyes roll back in his head and he passes and out faints right 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 right, right. but yes. just just the interconnectedness of the trauma recovery cake we're going to do the thing that yes, this boy yes. experienced first time, and it's going to just repeat itself in a whole oh, new my scenario is wild. Oh, it's amazing. Um, it's amazing. Do you have any real specific likes, dislikes, or scares you want to talk about? I, I um, would encourage you to do that if you have some that you... Well, I mean, so many things are just sort of tied to to themes, um, but I will say just almost as a trivial bit that the the house itself was a set uh, that was specifically yeah. constructed and designed 
uh, for the film and to service what the film was trying to do. I will mention just in terms of we're we're kind of generally talking about the subtlety and the the moments that are significant beyond just their individual scope. I'm sure you've seen it a couple of times now, so I'm sure you've probably picked up on the opening scene, like the significance of that opening of some of the moments of the opening scene uh, regarding the stink bugs. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I know what you're. I know what scene you're referring oh to. Oh my gosh! I know exactly what you're honing tra- in on. Uh, so maybe this this is this is possibly something that would pivot, you know, an an avenue into into some of the broader themes of the film. But what? But a recurring thing that happens is that Mr. Kim, uh, they. One of the first moments that they are all in the house together, that the imposters and the Park family are all in the house together, the young boy, Desong, is that his name? Yep. Desong. I don't know if that's how you say it exactly, but yes, that's right. right. And yeah. I should apologize to everybody for any name that I butcher on, on this uh, podcast. But uh, the, the the one of the first things he does is he goes up and he sniffs the housekeeper, and he sniffs Mr. Kim, and he's like, they smell the same. He's like... They, they smell they smell exactly alike and and then he's like yeah and uh and he said the two children smell the same way and he's like oh what are you talking about and that prompts the imposter family to like oh we got to use different deodorant or you different detergent now and blah 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 and so that becomes a recurring thing where once the park family have returned from their camping trip and they and the husband and wife are laying on the couch that's a weird scene when the husband and wife are laying on the couch and then he's like hmm i smell mr kim like I smell him, you know, and you remember from the yeah. from the birthday party that the moment, the visual moment that incenses Mr. Kim Gosh. to do what he finally does is when Mr. Park sees this bloodied, you know, guy in front of him and what he does the is yeah. the basement, basement guy. Yeah. And what he does is holds his nose as he tries to move the guy out of the way so he can get his keys. That's what incenses Mr. Kim. So there's this recurring idea of the stench, right? The the smell. Well, in the opening scene of the film, Nathan, he's sitting there, and there's a there's a bug on right. his thing, Stink and he, he flicks and he it. Flicks it. Yeah. He's like, and then they go on. What's happening? The the in the town they are spraying for the stink bugs and they're fumigating it and they and they sit there and he even they even say they allow the fumigation to enter it because the dad mr kim says it'll kill all the stink bugs and they say yeah there are too many stink bugs and it's like right there in that opening like to them these bugs are just what they're little pests they're pests that are annoyances they're little these you know these parasitic things and then i found it uh, especially with a film as intentional as this is, that has to be significant tied sure. to the way that smell and stench specifically plays so much into what we see progress later. But I just, I, yeah, I thought that was incredible. The second time I well, watched it through, I was like, oh man, all kill all the stink bugs. Anyway. Well, I mean, I think that I don't know that I have the academic brain to really have the most cogent conversation I would want to have on this because so much of the film, so much of the sub and text of this film is about class and about yes. social yes. strata and those dynamics, you know, and, and I'm just intimidated by trying to tackle some of that because I just don't have the um, sort of academic, whatever to kind of, uh, properly discuss it in a way i would love to but right right i i 
why the basement reveal is so high and, and we're in theme so so sure, you know, sure. We, we can we can touch on surface stuff as we want but you know we're, we're here and it's going to be wading into deep waters why the reveal of the basement dwellers are so wild from a thematic standpoint as an asterisk to this i'm kind of convinced that everyone in this film is an antagonist and a protagonist you are both mm, on okay. board with and and frustrated by every character like sure and, and we'll, sure. we'll get into that in a minute but why the basement dweller reveal is so powerful is because of the stink bug scene it is because the the truth that however low you are there is always someone lower yeah yeah and however high you are there's always someone higher mm. and you've got these social dynamics at work of at the outset the low income impoverished working in the gig economy pizza box folding just trying to crib someone else's Wi-Fi Kim right, family. Right, right, right. And then you've got the well-off Park family. That's that's how you're presented with the, the dynamic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then you are given someone lower than the Kims, uh, literally. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and socially in the basement couple. Well, I would argue that the film is also positing that the architect and the former homeowner is meant to be the strata above the parks. Uh, In other words, there's uh, always someone higher and there's always someone lower. Yes, yes. I wouldn't argue with that. And I think what's so arresting to me about this film is, and it's interesting because I I did write down, I don't think this is a nihilistic film at all, but I do think it is meant to serve as cautionary tale. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A plot that we didn't go over in the summary because there's a lot that happens in this film is uh, at the end when Mr. Park uh, recoils at the stench of the basement dweller that has just been. How did the basement husband get taken out at the very end? Uh, I, I believe he gets stabbed by the mom, doesn't he? Yes, yes, you're right. Yes. So he stabbed the basement man, stabs Jessica, the daughter, Je- Jessica's mom, uh, posing as the housekeeper, stabs basement man the dynamics of the relationship of this imposter family start to trickle into the cognizance of the park family Uh, Mm. mr park goes to basement man recoils at the stench mr kim sees the recoil and all that he suffered through this film which is manifest and exemplified in the rainstorm the previous scene sets him off and he goes and stabs mr park and then vanishes and what we don't know until the very end is he goes into the basement to live out ostensibly the rest of his life yes um, he's there indefinitely yeah. yeah so so i don't think it's nihilistic i think it's a cautionary tale of how we in various social and economic strata coexist or not with those above and below us and 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 i like i'm so intimidated to kind of have this conversation because i you know in a certain way i want this house that we're talking through to not be as big as it is so we can kind of <laughs> unpack all the nooks and crannies but it is just too sure. friggin big and here's what's funny reed is i i mean like let's see of my initial notes 
1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, oh, good Lord. 16, 17. There are, there are about 16 things that could be thematic conversation. Now, a lot of those are... <laughs> A lot of a lot of those are entwined and and sort of correlated sure, to each sure. other. Yeah. And I was all ready to be like, "Man, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. We're gonna throw a stone across the water and just gonna do do all these little things." And read, I, <laughs> I went and just because the film just came out to rent, um, I actually ended up purchasing it because I discovered some iTunes gift cards and I wanted to give it another go. Um, sure. Sure. And the the daggone i'm trying hard not to cuss here the cover <laughs> the cover art the tagline of the film do you know what the tagline of the film is reed on the cover uh no what 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 and this this took my 16 thematic points and just was like ah eh, no don't worry about that figure out how to talk about this the uh, tagline mm. of the film is act like you own the place oh my gosh act like and, you own the place and Reed, wow. I am so like just stirred to my core by at least in my brain when I'm going to have a terrible time articulating with my mouth, the implications practically uh, and spiritually for that phrase, act like you sure. own the place. Right. And right. as a springboard, and I, I, I sincerely want you to. I don't intend this to be monologue. I won't because no, I'm going to need yeah, sure. I'm going to need help, but something to get us going because there's a way in which tattoos on the heart and Brian Stevenson are all going to speak in dialogue with Parasite, but if you rewatch this film, so a lot of my initial 15 themes are a degree of specificity. It's like, oh, that person said that line and that could be a theme, you know. Right, um, right, right, right. But on a second and a second and a half viewing in light of this phrase, act like you own the place, what is just screaming in this film is pretending. Mm. And, mm. and it isn't just in the imposter family, although that's its most explicit representation. Right. But it's reinforced throughout. You have the little boy. Do you remember uh, Kevin and the teen daughter? have a conversation about how the son pretends in these flights of fancy he has when he looks at the at the sky. Do you right. remember this at all? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. So so he does it. Mm -hmm. You've got the teen daughter who just inherently and I'm worried I'm about to learn this in a very profound way in the coming years, uh naturally wants to pretend they are more mature than they are. So there's yes, just some inherent character stuff there. Yes. You've yes. got Mrs. Park who is kind of pretending like she's got it all together and does not whatsoever. Does, nope. Nope. Exactly. Um, I'm going to posit from the text of the film, you've got Mr. Park who pretends that he loves his wife. You know, he yes. may on a yes. certain level, but he gets asked real explicitly more than once by Mr. Kim. Yes. And he brushes it off and kind and of, it, yeah. And his he even says, the first time you is, could call it love. Yes. Right. Or something exactly like that. Right. Yes. That's his first um, answer is he says, sure, we'll call it love. Yes. Oh, God. And so you've got them. You've got the basement folk who, if you recall, are inherited from the architect. Yes. Right? From the previous homeowner. Yes. I mean, that housekeeper may be the embodiment of act like you own the place, right? Like she sure. she, she oh, sure. assumes an ownership mm -hmm. about this home. Anyway, my point being is like I – 
there's who we act like and who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it's funny because I kept interrogating this thought throughout the day. This is why I dreaded this conversation because I don't know how to tie these things up. And that's okay. I'm just saying when you go into a quote-unquote public setting like what we do here and attempt a dialogue, it's, it feels valuable to have some measure of place to land. But I don't totally know how to get there. Um, and I, uh, Tattoos on the Heart um, has a has a has a quote and i'm going to reference it here and I, I even sent you these this is how nerdy i was getting with this um but that i want to incorporate here and it says this is gregory boyle uh, founder of homeboy industries and he says at homeboy industries we seek to tell each person this truth they are exactly what god had in mind when god made them and then we watch from this privileged place as people inhabit this truth. Mm. Adjacent to that, Richard Rohr, I'm sure I referenced this quote at some point last year, but it just screams at me in light of this attempted conversation. One of the most revelatory sort of statements I've, I've read in the last 12 months is in, I'm pretty sure, Universal Christ. And he says... God comes to you disguised as your life. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. And I just keep trying to comprehend in my spirit this tension between owning and acting like owning and how difficult a time we have. In, in, in Tattoos on the Heart, he quotes some other person at, at, a, at a point in the book and it says, God is who is right in front of you. Mm. And, and, and these notions, man, these notions of performance and imposterness, willful yes. imposterness, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, Mr. Park knows he's putting on. Now, mm -hmm. doesn't mean he's not attracted to her. Clearly, that happens, but, <laughs> right. but he knows he's putting on. The, the Kim family knows what they're doing. This is what I mean by they're yes, all protagonists willful. and they're all antagonists. Right. We right. we develop a certain empathy because it's like, well, who's the villain here? It's hard to say. Like, you kind of understand everybody's point of view, which is masterful filmmaking. Can I can I interject yeah, without please. breaking your thought? Uh, a yeah. statement that Bong Joon-ho had made about the film. It's a very long quote, and I'm not going to cite all of it. I might come back to different parts of the little paragraph, but the statement specifically that I wanted to hone on hone in on is he says. Uh, as a depiction of ordinary people who fall into an unavoidable commotion, this film is a comedy without clowns, a tragedy without villains, all leading to a violent tangle and a headlong plunge down the stairs. And wow. I thought that was a really that's again from the director. Sure, um, sure. And then he he closes that quote with, "You are all invited to this unstoppably fierce tragic comedy." And uh, I thought that was, again, incredibly profound. Your talk about, like, you know, who's the villain here? And he's like, well, it's a tragedy without villains, and it's a comedy without clowns. And uh, I'm like, wow, that is, yes, that is, a, uh, that is really sort of affirming to what I'm hearing in your they're all protagonists and they're all antagonists. Yes, and, and even that's just meant to say they're human beings like us. And, and, yes, and, yes. And, but, but applying to that this notion of inability to see God in each other. And a word that becomes prevalent in the works of Gregory Boyle um, is the word kinship. And 
he has this very um when he's talking about being doing life with these um homeboys and homegirls as they are affectionately called he talks about kinship and he says serving is good but it's just a start mm. kin mm. kinship which is not serving the other but being one with the other mm. jesus was not a man for others he was one with them there's a world of difference in that and i guess all i'm trying to hone in on is the evil is a strong word but the wickedness of systemic imposed barriers to recognizing the god in front of you right yeah right right and 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 in a tragedy without villains which is in many ways can describe life itself the tragedy is our inability to reach across those barriers it's our inability to not recoil at the stench of someone below us right and I was even wrestling with the title of the film, Parasite. You know, Parasite, the word, invokes hierarchy, right? It's, it's, yes, yeah, yeah. Host and, and parasite. Mm, it is, mm, mm. it is dominant and submissive. It is superior and inferior. But what we are called to is proximity and kinship. Yeah. And I think that's why this film is so arresting to me and so fast. I mean, it's it's a hell of a movie. Like from oh, a pure, absolutely. Just, yeah, absolutely. I, I intentionally use the word movie there. Like it is a great thrill ride of a movie. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But the punch that's packed is all of this stuff. I mean, it's not hidden that Kevin references this is metaphorical more than once. And, you know, it's funny because I, I, I struggled to really grasp. There were some things in this film that I did struggle to grab hold of, and that was one of the things was what did he mean by this is so metaphorical. I recognized and I sort of took it to mean this is an omen, this is a sign, this is fortuitous, this is providential, whatever you want to say. But uh, that language was so distinct. I, I struggled to really grasp, like, what does he mean? This is all so metaphorical. And I just sort of encapsulated it in my own understanding as, oh, this is... You know, this is a sign the same way I would, I'm, you know, I or somebody else might joke like, wow, I'm lucky today. I should buy a lottery ticket, you know, or something like that. Um, that's just the well, way I contextualized no, I think, it. But I think that's a helpful, you know, kind of spoke on the wheel here, which is to say, do you remember? So, so the way men, I think, is the the friend who bequeaths them the stone and the job, the entry into this new life of theirs. Right, right. Yes, he he identifies the rock as it is said to bring families material wealth. And that is the key right there is these things we buy into. Mm, mm. These <laughs> I don't even understand the weight of what I'm about to say. Mm. The sin of capitalism. The ways we get sold on the good life that is available materially in an in an economic structure if we just pursue it right and so yeah, the metaphor yeah. here is 
they are gifted this stone that is said to bring families material wealth. Do you remember at the end, towards the end, right before the party, when uh, the Kims except mom are uh, are trying to rest on the floor of a gymnasium because their entire section of town has been oh, washed away? Oh, gosh, yes. Kevin, Kevin is, is cradling this rock. Yes, yes. And the the rock is used as a bludgeon against him that this is the metaphor that your dogged pursuit mm, mm-hmm, which does mm, not mean mm. we let the poor live in their squalor that's not no of course means. no of course it just means we get sold <laughs> right we get sold and we are in a political season right now where a lot of people are trying to sell you something mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I was engaged with the text conversation today with someone where I was really wrestling and I was like, so much of what is peddled to us is under the very thinly veiled guise of, of benefit. In other words, I ex political candidate, I'm going to do Y for you. Like it's, it's a it's a uh, a thing offered ostensibly as as gift to a population right. group or whatever. Right, right. But it is so explicitly and obviously with those with eyes to see and ears to hear a transactional bargain. Yes, yes. And which is a great I way think, to say it. And I think what is so challenging to me in these days and why the heart, my, you know, I think I've said this before. My wife sometimes is like, why do you read this stuff? <laughs> you know, in other words, like things that so weigh my heart down. And I think it's in part because I am done with the transaction. I don't yeah, want right, it. Right. And what is so heartbreaking about this film is you're watching an entire, you're watching, you're watching a microcosm representative of the whole system. Sure. Which is everyone sure. participating in what they perceive to be a transactional social contract. Right. right. That is really nothing. Right? It is yeah. it is not and, right. and if I can pivot in here, a tragedy without villains, yes. And it's a tragedy because we have settled for the transaction when it's transformation that is required. Mm. It is transformation. Mm. It is it is it is the work of I mean even in the film, they are Koreans who buy in to American colonial ideology by by Native American uh, emblems. Right? Oh, right, right. Yes, like, yes. It's everywhere, mm-hmm. and and it 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 subs it substitutes transformation for transaction. I think why I put myself through the ringer sometimes on the things I read, and you know the the Brian's. I actually don't at all, and I hope it doesn't come off this way. I suddenly, mean to turn this into oh, Nathan's awesome. That's not at all what I mean. No, but I know. No, I know. I'm so disenchanted, and and I and 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 I don't. And sometimes I get duped, just like everybody. But sure, I'm so disenchanted sure. with transactional living and real work is real, lasting, useful, worthwhile that matters at all that sees enemy as friend is transformational and requires yes. transformation and requires yes. being able to prophetically call out systems like capitalism 
like whatever. That's not, oh, you're a socialist. That's not at all what I mean either. And simply saying there are systems in the world that are not the kingdom of God. Yeah. And we are called to prophetically name those things, be apart from them and, and, and still interact with, but recognize them for what they are. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, you're fine. Um, so it's funny because in leading up to this conversation, I did not have him on my mind almost at all. But just in the course of this conversation, uh, Rich Mullins keeps coming yes. to mind yes. so much. And I remember a story that I'm going to butcher the telling of because I did not I did not think to dis- to mention him in this sure. podcast. So I didn't you know, I'm not prepared to, to speak verbatim. But but I remember he told a story about the writing of his song. I believe it was Screen Door. I believe it was the writing for Screen Door. Where he said the reason he got the idea for that song is because he picked up a hitchhiker. And when he picked up this hitchhiker, the hitchhiker stank, smelled so, so bad. And he drove for a, a while with the hitchhiker in, and then he could not stand the smell anymore. So he said, I'm so sorry, this is my exit, I'm going to have to let you out. And so he let the hitchhiker out. And then waited until the hitchhiker was a good, decent way down the road so that he would not see him pulling back onto the freeway and not taking the exit oh, wow. and traversing yeah. on. And so he said it just the whole experience really got under his skin in terms of his own hypocrisy and, and how, you know, and, and I remember he used this phrase, and I wish I could quote this verbatim. I just wish I was prepared to speak to it. But I remember he said, he said, sometimes the kingdom of God is calling you to assist somebody whose smell is going to be in the car a lot longer than they are. And I rem- and just in this, you know, I mean, it's pinging me because parasite and stench. It's pinging me because right. you want to talk about like being among them and being one of them and, and, and subverting the systems that would categorize them and, and, and identifying the ways in which these people, you know, like uh, the rest of Bong Joon-ho's quote there, or not the rest of it, but another part of it, he said, in the midst of such a world, who can point their finger at a struggling family locked in a fight for survival and call them parasites? It's not that they were parasites from the start. They are our neighbors, friends, and colleagues who have merely been pushed to the edge of a precipice. Yes. And I thought that was truly profound to think about, like, no, this is a, this is a difficult thing. These people sort of trying to live in, in, in congruence with each other. And, and one of the things that is so frustrating to me about the ways in which we will pat ourselves on the back for our own accomplishments and then look at someone else and say, well, you know, you should just do what I did. You know, clearly, clearly it's a Betty Crocker recipe that you can just funnel your life through the system and you can just do what I did and that'll be the end of it. Um, and, and that life just doesn't break down that way. I think there's a reason why, and I know I, I'm, I'm also thinking of, I know that there, there's a quote that you shared with me earlier and maybe you can read it here in a moment, but um, I think there's a reason why Jesus calls out that you visit a person in prison, you, you know, feed the hungry, you do these kind of things. And then he says, when you do it to them, you've done it to me. Like I'm them. Right. Like that, that is, you know, in this, and I, I don't have the language to wrangle it all down right now, but I, I am them. I am not this disconnected, disembodied, disenchanted thing. I am them. I'm right there. If you want to see me, if you want to find me, you can find me there because mm-hmm. that's where I'm at. And, and I feel like, that is so significant to our thought processes and painfully absent 
from our behavior when we navigate and understand the world around us and the people who are in different stations, different positions than us, who people who just don't have the same um, conditions and situations as us. And, yeah. Well, and, God, there's so many places to run here, but um, purely on the other facets of this being a metaphor notion, I this this is maybe me get, reading way too much into it, but it's not lost on me that the uh, initiator of this home is an artist. He is a creator. Yes, and all yes. of these people and all of their ways interacting with each other. That's really fascinating to me. But mm-hmm. to your point in the Rich Mullins story, uh, you know, several Gregory Boyle's work is on my heart and in my spirit, and just rattling around and. And and something that was inspired by your Mullins story a minute ago that and man, Rich Mullins. I know, I know, I know. Um, it, it would be really fascinating to to have his voice, uh, his his prophetic voice, not just his uh, musical voice in this current world. Uh, it um, would, it would. Um, so another Boyle quote, and there's so many that we could pull from, but probably one of the most applicable in this moment and and who knows maybe the last for the for these few three minutes um he says here is what we seek a compassion that can stand in awe at what the poor have to carry rather than stand in judgment at how they carry it Mm. and dude Mm. like what how Mm. Mm. and and what's fascinating is i don't know that I would strictly apply that. Now he means it as the economically poor, right? Um, right, right, right. And that is correct. But if this movie is a tragedy with no villains, I think it's not just the economically poor that need our, our empathy. It, it's the, it's the poor of heart, right? Yes. Like, yes. like, the the lacking the all, all of us who buy into this transactional system of of living and of economy and and who knows I, i'm going to try to steer begin the steer towards shore here and um sure. something i do want to offer as help because i need it and maybe you do and maybe listeners do in hearing the at least the weight that's I'm attempting to try to introduce like a rock into the story mm. here, into the mm. conversation here. So went to hear Brian Stevenson. Um, if, if listeners haven't, you, you, you owe it to your spirit. You owe it to the country, to yourself, to your coming and going to read the book, just mercy. Don't just settle for the film, which oh, is strong yes. in its own right. But you you really ought to do that. Um, yes, yes. Now, so Stevenson puts forth, he, he structured his lecture on four points. And I'm going to use those four points to finish us here without going too deep into all of them, but just to kind of apply them as we seek to figure out what it looks like yes, to yeah. exercise transformation of ourselves because only transformation of ourself yields transformation around us. Like Mm. if you keep Mm. buying and selling, nothing changes. And anyway, so his first point is be proximate. He uses this in the context of his experience, learning to love 
and in a certain fashion live alongside death row inmates. Be proximate. Right, right. Be near. Like, like you've got Mr. Park essentially living alongside Mr. Kim, but there's no proximity, right? Right. There's, there's no right. care. There's no bridge forming. Mr. Um, I'm just going to insert in yeah. here. Like, no, I'm not going on a different trail. Mr. Park is constantly talking about crossing the line. Yeah. And he's constantly wow. saying, yeah. like, you know, they don't cross the line. There is a, a barrier, barrier yes. that he has in his mind about his servants not crossing a line. So, anyway, just to supplement well, what you're saying. Well, as another asterisk there, Boyle has this beautiful uh, imagery when he talks about the gospel narrative story of the disciples lowering the man through the roof. Yeah. And he mm. says he says our job is to eradicate the barriers to wholeness. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Right? Mm. Anyway, so Stevenson be proximate. Um his next sta- statement and point is change the narrative. Mm. He uses it. He uses this and yes, I'm intentionally throwing this in here in the context of he says in America the north won the civil war, the south won the narrative. And mm. so his mm. work is changing the narrative. Our work yes, is changing yeah, the yeah. narrative from transactional living that views others on a merit-based system into a transformational position that says, God comes to you disguised as your life. God is whoever is right in front of you. Mm. That is the narrative yeah. Yeah. that is true <laughs> and yeah. most holy versus yeah. what we tend to operate in. His third point, so be proximate, change the narrative, the third one read is be hopeful. Mm. Mm. Nothing happens. Nothing changes if you can't believe in the possibility and invest in the possibility of the hope that it can, right? Wow. Wow. And his fourth and final point that he structures his lecture around is get uncomfortable. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I would encourage listeners, I would encourage you and encourage myself, like think about those people you point to as emblems of faithful living and and ponder like, what are they doing like this? You're Gregory Boyle who, no, no, hear me, man. I came away from Brian Stevenson's lecture and said to my friend, I said, I don't know how in my current life to exactly do these things. Right. I am a a little paralyzed and that's not good. I don't like that feeling, so it requires me to push a little harder to make those things happen. Brian Stevenson is a single man; he has no children. Like the right, different, right. he has a different means and and resource pool by which to execute some of these things. Gregory Boyle, of course, yes, is a yes. celibate Jesuit, <laughs> right? You know, like right, right. Of course, these no, these course. aren't apples to apples and aren't going to explicitly apply to your life. But it's figuring out the things in your life because. God comes to you disguises your life and mm, figuring out mm. how to get uncomfortable furthering the work around right, you of transformation. Right. Anyway, I know that may seem like a weird button to put on the movie Parasite, but this idea of being proximate, being eyes opened and heart aware of God, what a terrible way to put this. The folks around you who smell. Well, <laughs> Metaphoric, yes, metaphorically yes, yeah. or actually. Right. Yes. It is that because it is the and and we're winding this down but it is the it is the equation of the stench with inferiority mm-hmm. that pervades this film and I think it is at least 
at least reasonable to say, if not specific to say, part of what incenses Mr. Kim to do what he does. The equation of you smell, so you're less than, is much, is much, I mean, you see it on his face when he rails against Mr. Park and finally kills Mr. Park. Is, and again, there's so much going on in that moment, I don't want to reduce it to that's all it's about. But, I mean, the, the film is pretty there that he sees Mr. Park witness this man bloodied and and clearly crazy, but, um, you know, this man uh, in front of him and what Mr. Park does is holds his nose that he, you know, like, oh, I've just got to get out of here. And that's the moment that just because I think there's something in him that equates to, well, yeah, I you you think I stink. And so because I stink, then I'm not I'm I'm not as good as you or I'm not on that same playing field as you. And it, the the flooding scene oh my in God. the film is so oppressive. I mean, the woman is the daughter is sitting there with this like mm. cigarette on on a sitting on a toilet that is literally vomiting sewage. Like the toilet is just like spewing up sewage and their their home is flooded and racked. And you know, I I think about this will be my final button on the film. Like I think about You've brought in Act Like You Own the Place. You've brought in all of these Brian Stevenson quotes, his wonderful observations about how we can help and how we can be helpful. So much stuff from Gregory Boyle as well. The son, when he's going in to um, see, I just coincidentally happened to write this down, when he's going in to see for the interview for the tutor that starts this whole narrative Mm -hmm. afloat, and he says, I don't see, I, I didn't write the whole quote down, but he's like, I don't see this as a deception. He says, I'll go to university next yeah, year. Yeah. I just printed out the document a bit early. you know. And in the end, what is the, the devastating ending that the film leaves you with is him writing a letter to his father being, I'm going to make some money, and I'm going to go buy that house, and all you'll have to do is walk up okay. the stairs. Walk, and and, and I, I, please, it's been a minute since I've seen it, but I think his line is, all you have to do is walk up the stairs. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in this, you com- combine that with what Bong Joon Ho said about this plunge down the stairs. Yeah, this this hopefulness of there will be a day when we rise from the basement, when we can rise up. Now, what's devastating about it is the film does not end us. It could just fade out with this fantasy moment of dad walking up the stairs, them hugging and embracing and moving on with their life. But it doesn't. It goes back to the sub-basement where he is sitting, writing that letter, still in the same position. The impression I get is that's that's probably not going to happen. That's probably well, never going and to happen. to your point, I actually just recently saw a quote uh, from Bong Joon-ho saying the math on, and which illustrates the point of the film, the math on what Kevin would have to do, uh, or I'm sorry, on the amount of time it would take based on their economic station was 587 years. Oh my Lord. Right. Oh my Lord. Oh my Lord. Which also is just one more metaphor for the barrier. Yes. Right. That's imposed. These, this father and son cannot even reconnect because of these things. And yeah, I mean, yeah. And I think too, 
Oh no, it's 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 incredibly powerful. To leave it on a bit less of a, a sort of a down note, although the film leaves us oh, with yeah. that note, so maybe that's appropriate. But well, you know, and to to that, I'm sorry to cut you off. It's rudely just there. Uh, sincerely apologize. But I I, I would say it, again, it's a cautionary tale. It's it's a, right, right. Pay right, attention. Right, right. Go ahead. This is part of say. it. But just you know, uh, Stevenson's observations about like just. Uh, you know, get get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take this in the spirit in which it's given, uh, and in the context of the story, not in the ways in which this could be misapplied and misappropriated. But cross a line or two. Yeah. Um, don't. Uh, listeners are sharp and smart enough to know what I mean by that and what yes. I don't mean. Um, but you know, get uncomfortable and um and cross a line or two to uh, it's the Mr. Parks of the world and the us's of the world who might be more like Mr. Parks than we'd like to admit that I'm talking to when oh, I, yes. when I say yes. that, um, people of privilege, yes, people of privilege and, um, and, and the recognition of your position and your status. And I'm not, I'm not talking about these big social constructs that incense me when people debate over that kind of stuff. I am better off than some people who are near me. And it is my, God-given responsibility to be kind, and it is my God-given responsibility to be compassionate, and it is my God-given responsibility yeah. to be proximate. And in as much as I am able to, to try to take that moment, any moment I am given, and maybe, maybe use that moment to make someone else's moment a little better, a little easier, a little lighter, a little, a little brighter, whatever it is, Maybe that's through financial means. Maybe that's through the sharing of a cup of cold water, which the scriptures compel us is a profound reward within the kingdom. Um, whatever it is, take your moment to be proximate, to pay attention, to uh, change the narrative, to you know all of all of the things that Stevenson so wisely compels us to do. Um, and uh, and maybe there is another version of act like you own the place because. <laughs> I will tell you well, this. I, I will yeah. say, sorry, this is, this is popping yeah, out. No, is it? Please. Not that long ago at my work, a few years ago, I had this moment where my, my perception of some of my peers at work was, you know, uh, it, it was it was not the greatest. Like, oh, yeah, Reed's not that good at doing this, or maybe we need to, you know, pivot this responsibility over to somebody else or whatever. And it really devastated me, and I'm, I'm flying by a lot of, you sure. know, information just for time's sake. but. I remember thinking in that moment, and I feel like it was a real sort of spiritual awakening in that moment where I feel like so much of my communication with the Lord compelled me towards this truth. It does not matter what they say you are. It matters what you are. It matters mm-hmm. what you what you really and actually are. And their perception means very, very little in the scheme of things. It matters what you are. And I think in context of, of or in that spirit, it also matters what we do. And, um, and yes, the... Uh, I feel like the the ones that the Lord is paying the most attention to are the ones of the lowliest station. And uh, we too frequently desire sort of the high upper station, uh, feel like that's the achievement or the, sig- or the signifier of blessing in our life when the, the well, kingdom and, is so backwards that way. You know, yeah, absolutely. And trying to tie these into a better bow than I was worried would happen an hour ago in the opposing forces here of act like you own the place and own the place because Mm. 
because if God is who is in front of you, that also means that someone else might be looking at you too. And that same truth is happening and you bear the responsibility of what that Mm -hmm. means and those implications and how you interact with and impact uh, and are aware of so much. I mean, step one is awareness, right? My God, Mm -hmm. like change the narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm. (laughs) what you got brother Lackey? I'm just, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Just on on the place, on the place. Right. Right. Like own, because own that, it. I can't get out of my brain the and this is actually not meant to indict the Kim family at all, but the scene of them acting like they own the place in the night when they're yes, running yes. through this place. And and that is us, man. Yes. Ignore the yes. socioeconomics of those characters in the moment. That's us. We mm-hmm. we yes. are um disrespectful and irresponsible mm-hmm. and careless and uh, 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 narrow-minded yeah. and myopic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, this is these are impossible things uh, on a certain level, but nonetheless, we we push into the impossible where we can. Yes. Um. Yes. You know, little things like I, I told my wife this the other day. Reed, I don't even know how to do this right now, but I was like, I feel like I am not honoring my convictions by some of the things I purchase at times and the implications oh. of where those things are sourced from. You know what I mean? It's like stuff no, like understand. that. No, I understand. That it's like, stop acting like you own the place, own the place, bear and responsibility place. for how your choices and your economic choices impact others. Anyway. Yeah. No, I think that's probably, yeah, a parasite. I think that's a perfect, uh, uh, do you mind if we no, and, and pivot over to the fog meter? Uh, I think, uh, there's a lot that could be said, but I think it's 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 just about time. Um, so the fog meter, our very specific metric of fear and God, uh, measuring its scares and its substance. So um, I'll start. This is a hard number for me to do, but in the fear metric for parasite, um, I feel like I always want to make this distinction of you know the existential sorts of fears and the uh, nightmarish variety. We are a horror podcast, ostensibly, um, and so this film is not going to give anybody any nightmares, but hopefully will unsettle you to a degree that it gives you a tremendous amount to think about. I'm going to split the difference here on fear and give it a five. Yes, clearly we're operating on a curve for this metric on this film. I am, I'm going to state it and then back it up. I'm going to give it an eight because mm. of the ways I feel like properly wrestled with what the film implicates us in as culpable Mm -hmm. in our brothers and sisters oppression and burdening Mm -hmm. feels Mm -hmm. very very heavy Mm. and i mean on a pure thriller standpoint i think it qualifies so you know again is it is it generous and on a curve sure but i'm gonna go with an eight Okay. Um, okay. Um, what would you say for substance? Ten. I, this is uh, this is the fastest vote we've ever had to do, like in terms of substance. Like this is this is a ten if there ever was one. I was even thrown, Reed. I was thrown on the second viewing how much more I was getting out of it because you just never know, you know. Like, sure, of course. I don't know. Like you, yeah. I watch it the first time. I'm like, I liked that a lot. I don't yes. totally get it yet, and and I still don't totally get it, but. 
was, it was just fascinating watching the second viewing being like, I am really on a wavelength that this is no, of know, course. operating on in a really powerful way. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that means that Bong Joon-ho's six Oscar-nominated Parasite receives an 8.25. Mm-hmm. That 0.25 matters. It's on important. The fog meter. I'm five foot uh, seven and a half. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't deny me. Don't deny me. We're <laughs> leaving that alone. Um, <laughs> there's just not enough time to go down that rabbit hole. It's so um, true. It's a metaphor. Um, so, um, <laughs> so I, I, you know, more than that. Read the fog meter, notwithstanding. Uh, do you recommend Parasite? Oh my gosh! Watch this movie. Watch this movie, everybody. See it. Yeah, that, everybody. Yeah, everybody. It doesn't even see need it. to be asked. Go, go no, watch it. No. Like, watch it. Um, Seek it if out. You're like, if you're like, I don't like foreign language films, then what do you, what, come on. No. You're, you're and I will, I will say, not only that, uh, Bong Joon-ho is a very, you, you mentioned it earlier, he's a very accessible filmmaker. All of his films are, are easy to enter. He is a captivating and compelling storyteller in a way that few of his peers are. Um, Parasite is a spectacular film. It deserves to be seen. You should see it, I, unquestionably. Reed, thank All you. All right. I mean, you, of course, you have, of course, you have given me a soft place to land. Uh, <laughs> as I, I mean, sincerely, you, you saw it. Sure. I, I, sure, I imagine yeah. if you listen about this conversation, you're like, Nathan's not okay. No, because <laughs> I had no idea how to land oh. this particular plane. But well, we did it. I'm you know proud what? Of where we landed? What? You know what? I, I think the word you're tr- you're looking for is respect. <laughs> <laughs> I also know, Reed, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is, it is. absolutely not the end no. of the conversation. No. Um, and speaking of fear of God, next week we will be having guest Meredith Curran join us for a discussion of Ari Aster's Midsommar. Mm-hmm. Reed, if, unless you have anything else to discuss, I just wish want to wish you and encourage our listeners to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing, my friend. Amen to that. Thanks for having this conversation with me, buddy. Yes. See you guys next week. Bye, everybody. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of JacobHuntComics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.